so today I'd love to speak to you about how to have a faith over fear. Now there are two different types of fear. There's healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear. As you know, fear is a natural human emotion and our fear instinct is designed to keep us alive. So during moments of potential danger and threat, we can react to this healthy fear in two ways, either fight or flight. We can either face it or we can run from it. In the Bible, we read about the fear of the Lord. And now this is a, a healthy fear. This isn't talking about being frightened of God. This is, this is about talking about honor or awe or adoration, respect. Fear of the Lord translates to love of the Lord. If you fear him, you need fear nothing else. Then there's unhealthy fear. And uh, the New Testament that uh, Lalani's just uh, read from is written originally in Greek. And um, uh, the Greek word for fear is phobos, from which we get our word phobia. Now, this kind of fear is unhealthy because it's, it's disproportionate to the danger posed. And there's many kinds of unhealthy fears. There's spiders, snakes. Oh, there's the, where's the other spider one? There's a spider one that's better than that. That's, yeah. That's nasty, that one, isn't it? It's fear of spiders, fear of snakes, um, heights. Sorry, I should have actually put a warning on this, shouldn't I? Because if anybody's actually struggling with these things, I've just realized it's completely insensitive. Apologies for that. Um, there's also slightly less common fears, such as dextrophobia, which is fear of objects to the right-hand side of the body. Um, there's abophobia, um, which is fear of palindromes, so words that read the same backwards as they do forwards. And obviously, if you look at that, you know that yourself, that again is really quite ironic. Um, so I feel sorry for maybe if you're a mum or a nun called Anna or Hannah who owns a race car or a kayak, you're going to struggle, aren't you? You're going to struggle with that if you're suffering with that, um, with that phobia. Anyway, I digress. So, um, phobophobia, a fear of phobias. Anatidephobia, which is a fear of being watched or stalked by a duck. So we can react to unhealthy fear in two ways. And uh, hopefully you can see this all right. I've got my, uh, my expert son, Jesse, on the, on the camera. Are you picking this up, Jesse? Yeah, shout out to Jesse. He's been on the youth weekend away, so it might be a bit sloppy if he's a bit tired. Um, so we can react to fear in two kind of ways. Um, one Christmas, my family and I went to Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park, and uh, my son Harry was 10 at the time. Is Harry in the house? Yes, Harry, yeah. He was 10 at the time, and um, he went on this ride called Air, and it's one which swings, spins, and loops 30 riders 100 feet through the air with seat seats looping in an uncontrolled manner at random. And it looked terrifying. He loved it. And then for some reason, he persuaded me to go on it with him. So we get on this ride. And you imagine the scene. It's like that in nighttime. You know, it's dark. The music's pumping. It's really loud. You can kind of, it's really vibey. All the lights going. And we sit in our seats. And it's one of these ones where you have a really big, thick, um, like harness that comes over over the top of you. It's so thick that if you look to the left or the right, you can't actually see anything trying to hold you in. And then as the ride begins to move, Harry says to me, Mum, I'm not strapped in. 
And so then I spend like this whole, the rest of the ride basically just saying, Harry, Harry, are you there? Can you hear me? What's happening? I'm imagining, is it, what's happened to him? Has he fallen out as we first sort of spun over? Is he hanging on for dear life? What's, uh, what earth is going on? And then the ride comes to a stop. And, I, and then the barrier comes up, the harness comes up. And I looked at him and I said, Harry, what happened? He looked at me and he said, did you enjoy that? And I said, I said, no, the last thing I heard was you saying to me, essentially, I'm not strapped in. And he said, oh, no, it was fine. And then just sort of clicked and it was all right. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. But, you know, but it, fear makes you panic and it literally makes you sick. And the other way that we can respond, the second way is we, to respond to fear is um, paralysis. I was always taught when I was growing up never to walk home as a teenager by myself. Uh, but on this one occasion, I was walking back from a friend's house, and um, do you know what? I thought, it's not very far, it is a bit late, but I consider myself quite a switched-on sort of person, so I thought if anything did happen to me, I think I'd know what to do. Plus the fact that my dad was a police officer, and he ever said to me, Emily, if you ever get into trouble, fingers in the eyes. <laughs> That's what you do. And I actually practiced it on my boyfriend at the time. It turns out it really hurts. That relationship didn't actually last that much longer after that. So I wasn't too far from home, and I took a really well-lit route, and I walked home, and I realized as I was walking home, I noticed these car headlights were just behind me, and I expected them to pass, and they didn't. And then as I carried on walking, I was conscious that these headlights were driving at the same pace. They were at the same pace behind me. And I just started to get quite anxious and a bit worried about what was going on. And then I decided to leg it across a whole bunch of gardens until I managed to get to my front door. I got my keys out. I got into the front door. And as I put my keys in the front door, I turned and I saw this car then drive on round the corner and leave. And I went upstairs, and I remember standing by my um, dressing table, and I was, so, um, I was so taken over with fear, it was like I was momentarily paralyzed by fear. I thought if I was ever in a situation where I was potentially in danger, I'd be able to shout or scream. I could barely breathe. It literally took my breath away. I felt so scared. I couldn't speak, let alone shout for help. I was momentarily paralyzed. And I guess I understand where that phrase comes from when you're scared stiff, when you're literally just held because of fear. So whether you experience panic or paralysis, fear stops you moving forward in your life. Worry is synonymous with fear. Do you like what I'm doing here? Can you see what's going on? And the truth is, if you hold on to worry, I thought, Martin, you were going to be my little, my little help here. Are you busy writing notes? That's good. <laughs> are, you, are you giving me feedback for later? If you hold on to worry, you can't hold on to much else. And at the moment, let's be honest, there's so much worry in the world at the moment. We can be overwhelmed with carrying the worries of the world that it's hard to hold on to anything else. Shot. Nice catch. We all experience fear at different times and to varying degrees. And the thing is with fear, it can kind of creep in 
And then it ends up taking over. And I just wonder, what worry are you holding onto? What fear are you facing right now? Perhaps it's around fear of being put on the spot. Perhaps it's fear of being misunderstood. Perhaps it's fear of missing out. Perhaps it's fear of what others might think of you, or fear around your finances, your health, your future, fear of death. How do we respond when we, like the disciples, are gripped by fear? How does Jesus respond? First, Jesus reveals his identity. That's what we can see in this passage. Jesus was praying alone on the mountainside, and he sees the disciples in the boat, straining at the oars, struggling to make headway in the storm around them. Then during the fourth watch of the night, so the night is split into four watches, so the fourth watch would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. At that last watch, Jesus goes out to them, bearing in mind they'd already been struggling all night. But Jesus doesn't walk around the water. Jesus walks on the water. And when I read this, at first glance, it seems a sort of strange miracle of Jesus. It's a sort of strange use of his powers. Like, we just heard, hadn't we? He just fed over 5,000 people. That's practical. That makes sense. I think, yeah, I get that. Very practical and a very useful miracle to do. But what's Jesus doing walking on water? Is he just drawing attention to himself? But there are other places in the Bible when strategic events happen around the fourth watch of the night that include a revelation of God's identity. One was in Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestled with a man and then he discovered that that man's identity was actually God, which then impacted Jacob's identity because his name was changed. He was called Israel. And then during the fourth watch of the night in Exodus 14, Moses led the Israelites out across the Red Sea. And it was at that moment that they saw the great power of their God displayed. They saw who he was through the miracle. And it was the fourth watch of the night when Jesus was resurrected from the dead in Matthew 28, verse 1. It was at that point that he revealed who he was as the risen Lord. So it interests me that on first glance, this seemingly bizarre miracle of him walking on water. It's it's the fourth watch of the night. I was like, what happened? There must be something significant about this walking on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they freaked out. They cried out. They were terrified because they thought that he was a ghost. Why didn't they recognize him? You know, when you read those passages, you think, why didn't you recognize him? Why didn't they? They'd just been with him literally only a few hours before. The disciples had been eyewitnesses to that amazing miracle of him having just fed over 5,000 people. Surely they shouldn't have been totally surprised to see Jesus performing another miracle only, only a few hours later by walking on the water. But in that moment, they weren't full of faith. They were full of fear. And fear and faith wrestle for the same space in our minds. I know, I should, be in a, I should be in a gallery, that shouldn't it? We can auction it later. Genius, genius artwork. But the fear and faith, they wrestle for the same space in our minds. Fear often blinds our eyes to the presence of the Lord. 
They had seen the feeding of the masses, but they had failed to see his, Jesus's, all-sufficiency to their need in that time of fear. And I just wonder if there are times like that whether we don't recognize the Lord when he comes to us in the middle of our storms because we're caught in a place of fear. Perhaps we've seen and experienced the power of God at work or we've experienced his provision in our lives before, and yet there are times when we still fail to see him and to struggle to trust him in our current storm. What's that about? Is it that we've got like a terrible memory or is it that just we're not fully seeing who he is? Jesus cares and he intervenes. He doesn't leave us in the storm. He does something about it. He comes to us. In the midst of our fears, Jesus draws near. Jesus was quick to comfort. It says in verse 50, immediately, it says, he spoke to them and said, take courage. Now, in some translations, when you look at that verse, it says, be of good cheer. Well, I just think that's slightly insensitive, considering the context, you know. In the severity of the situation that Jesus comes in and says, be of good cheer, I think it's a little bit insensitive, Jesus. There was this one incident one day when I was walking down the street, and this man walked past me, and he just went, cheer up, love. I was like, don't you just find that really annoying when people do that to you? I was like, well, I was, I was fine. Actually, there were two things that happened in that moment. One was I then felt in a bad mood. He ironically put me in a bad mood by saying, cheer up, love. And I felt all self-conscious because I just thought I must look moody then if I've just got an angry resting face as just I'm walking down the street. And then I felt a sense of sort of condemnation because I thought, well, I can't be a proper Christian. Because, you know, if you're a proper Christian, you've got like the love of God shining out of you. You know, the light of Christ coming out of your face. And he's telling me I need to cheer up. So I felt self-conscious and I felt condemned. So actually, I prefer the NIV translation, which is take courage. So we're going to work with that one. So Jesus is saying in here, take courage. And take can either mean to lay hold of, to grab, to grasp, to grip. Or it can mean to withdraw, to extract and I think in this passage, we're to apply both understandings of those words, to choose to lay hold of, to take courage um, from Jesus, and to withdraw, to extract, to receive courage from Jesus when we're struggling in times of fear. And in that passage that we read, it says, Jesus says, it is I. Now, this is the EastEnders. Any EastEnders fans? Anyone still watch that program? It's going on years, isn't it? One or two. You don't want to admit it, do you? Everyone's a bit like, not really. Just flick on every so often. It's, this is the EastEnders moment. Do you know the doof, doof, doof of EastEnders? This is the EastEnders moment in the passage. It's only small, three small words. In fact, in Greek, it's actually only two small words. It's ego ami, which means I am. Now, this is the name for God in the Old Testament, and you can read about it in Exodus 3. Therefore, Jesus, in the middle of the storm, is making a direct claim to his deity. He's giving the disciples and us, reading this story, a revelation of his identity, who he really is. And he's saying, I am God. Don't be afraid. Now, if I'm feeling a bit afraid and someone says, don't be afraid, it doesn't usually make that much difference. Um, to how I'm feeling just because they've said those words. Do you know what I mean? If someone just says, oh, don't worry, you don't usually just go, oh, yeah, now you've said it, I'm fine. It's like, oh, you've actually not really helped me. It's not really helped me at all. But 
if it was as easy as that, I don't think we would be experiencing this epidemic of um, fear and anxiety in our culture. But what does make a difference, however, is if I know who it is that's speaking. When I was about four years old, my family and I went on a camping trip to Wales, and the weather was awful. And it was this, we arrived at this campsite, and the wind was just whipping. And we, I remember going down onto the beach, and uh, it, was so, it was so strong that the sand was literally like lashing against your face. I guess when you're four, you're only this high, but it was like literally whipping up against my face. It was actually painful. And um, it was stinging my eyes. And I remember that night, the storm just grew worse and worse and worse. Now, my dad spent most of that night going around the tent, pegging it down, trying to keep the thing held down. And I remember as the storm was raging on, I woke up. And he came to me and he just said, it's okay, I'm here, don't be afraid. And because it was my dad, I just smiled and then I went back to sleep. In the morning, we woke up, and everybody else had gone apart from one camper van. The campsite had completely disappeared. I'm assuming they left as opposed to got blown away. But the point is, I know my dad, and I know that he loves me, and I know I can trust him. So when he says, it's okay, don't be afraid, trust me, I knew I could. I knew I could close my eyes and go back to sleep. Now that's the love of an earthly, imperfect father. But we can know the perfect love of our heavenly father. In 1 John 4 verse 18 it says, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus loved the disciples and he loves you. And you can know this love. You can know this love through his word. When you open the Bible, you can know it. And you can experience it through his Holy Spirit. That's why we take time every time we gather together here on a Sunday to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us up, to fill us with his presence, just as was shared at the weekend away, and to remind us of his love. You can trust in him to keep you safe in the storm. He says, he says, don't be afraid. So far from being a useless miracle, Jesus' walking on water was a miracle designed to show the disciples and us who he really is. He was drawing attention to himself, drawing our attention to his identity as God. When we're experiencing fear, Jesus comes to meet with us and he reveals his identity And secondly, in this passage, we can see that Jesus also reveals his authority. We respond to fear by holding on to the truth of who he is, revealed through his word. And in the previous chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus has already shown himself as Lord, as having authority over demons, over disease, over death, over disaster. He's already shown that in the story, in the gospels before In this story, in the face of the disciples' fear, Jesus revealed his authority once again over the elements as he walked on the water and when he calmed the storm. And it says in verse 51, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. He doesn't give a command 
He doesn't say anything. He just gets into the boat with them, and the storm is stilled. Jesus takes the disciples' fear, and then he turns it into faith. His presence with us in our storms helps us overcome our fears. And it's in his presence that we can find freedom from fear. The stormy waters in the Bible is um, symbolic of danger, of trouble, of chaos, of unrest, and of death. And calm waters represent perfection, holiness. Sometimes God saves us from the storm, and sometimes he saves us in the storm. The disciples were amazed, not because Jesus calmed the storm, but because God met them in the storm. And Jesus can totally eradicate our fears. He can. He could just totally do that. But sometimes he chooses to work with us, and he works through our fears to help us face our fears, allowing him to replace our fear with faith. I think fears are a little bit like splinters. They can either be pulled out or they get worked out. And uh, for many years, I had a real fear of public speaking, which is a real pain considering what I do for a living is speaking to people (laughs) up on the platform. And um, I felt God called me to to preach when I was about 19 years old. And uh, I used to be on the the leadership team of a church called Soul Survivor in Watford. And my first role there was as a a cleaner. And I loved hoovering the church, making it, anyone who knows me knows I love my hoover, um, making it look nice. And I remember feeling God saying to me, Emily, I I want you to start teaching. And I was just thinking, I don't want to do that. Lord, I'm much happier with a hoover in my hand than I am with a microphone. And actually, I ignored it. I ignored opportunities. I said, no, I made excuses for things. And um, I'd love to say that my motivation was just pure humility, but it wasn't. It was fear. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to speak in front of people. And I remember some years later, this coming again to my mind and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I remember saying to God, the thing is, I don't want to do it because I don't think I'm going to be very good. And I felt the Lord say, I'm not asking you to be good. I'm asking you to be faithful. I was like, how do you respond to that? It's like, oh, touche, good line, good line, Lord. I'm not asking you to be good. I'm asking you to be faithful. And I thought, good I might not be, but faithful I can be. We're supposed to be faithful and not fearful. And I'm still very much on that journey. It's for me, it's public speaking, it's a splinter that's been worked out. And I'd like to, you know, I don't say that because you're all feeling a bit awkward, or poor Emily. I said to Martin this morning, I was like, I don't want to do it. He's like, you have to. I was like, how are you going to make me if I don't just turn up? <sighs> what if I just run away? But I have to say, I, I, the Lord is really doing work in me because I used to cry before. <laughs> I used to cry before I'd get up and speak. And now I don't cry anymore. So there's progress. I'm growing up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm maturing. You're so kind. You're so kind to me. But the thing is, I say that as an encouragement, that sometimes God just lifts off fear and, and it's not an issue anymore, but sometimes he just works it out like that splinter. It gets worked out of you. And maybe there's something going on in your life at the moment where actually the Lord is speaking to you about, but you don't want to do it. Or you're sort of like me, you're running away or you're ignoring it because you're thinking, I I don't want to do it because I'm fearful. What if I make a mistake? What if I get it wrong? What if I'm not good enough? And I just want to encourage you that he's not asking you to be good. He's asking you to be faithful. 
Don't let fear stop you from stepping out in what God is calling you into. Fear is not from God. He didn't make us to be fearful. He made us to be free. Fear blinds us, but faith brings boldness. And as I said, fear can overtake, but Jesus overcame all our fears. Jesus is with us in the storm. He brings calm, and we can receive his peace. Jesus calmed the ultimate storm when he died on the cross. And actually, his walking on the water symbolizes, in this passage, the resurrection that was to come. Him walking over death itself, bringing calm and bringing peace. And the the good news is, we can know this resurrection power in our lives today, as individuals and as a church. You know, this is the gospel. This is good news. So how do we respond? Well, we respond in prayer. Prayer is the foundation of everything that we do. And as we pray, we receive his peace. When we read his word, we need not, we need not worry because we know who he is. And I encourage you just like read the word daily, open up your Bible, get to know the truth, the truth of who he is as he reveals his identity. And also as he's, in his word as it shows who you are, who you are in him. And as we read his word, it leads us to worship when we get a revelation of who he is, we can't help but worship him. And the thing is, worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon in our hands. And then we replace fear with faith. And then as individuals and as a church, we're equipped with, that's boots actually, or shoes. The gospel of peace, there we go. Prayer. It's rubbish, that one, isn't it? It just needs laces. How about that? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Oh, was that a little round of applause? Oh, well done. I love you. <laughs> Your life's very good. <laughs> You're so kind. But then we're fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. When we know who he is and we know who we are, we've replaced, wor- we've replaced the worry with reading the word, with worshipping him. We've placed um, in prayer We can leave behind paralysis, and we can replace panic with peace. And you know, the millennial generation is dubbed Generation Fear, and my prayer is that not just the millennials, but all of us are known as Generation Faith. That's my prayer, that that label that's been put on them, Generation Fear, that through us, through us knowing who he is, knowing who we are, we're equipped to go out into the world to speak this gospel of hope um, in a world full of fear, in a world full full of anxiety, that actually we can speak the truth of who God is. And that's my prayer for each one of us in these days. And the truth is we cannot do it in our own strength. We can only do it when we're filled with his Holy Spirit.